previously on Ruthless. If we are able to sink near a tandem this week, we are going to do the most outrageous variety program song <laughs> that we've done today. We have done some shanties. Um, we have done some off-key songs. I swear how to dare, you. How dare you? I, look, it's a self-criticism, really. Um, <laughs> I will embarrass myself for this program. If we can sink near a tandem, I will, I will sing the most outrageous song possible. We've tweeted our views time after time. We built the program and come close to the line. And horny takes, we've had a few. But like Hunter and Duplo and Tubin, we're coming through. It goes on and on and on and on. We, we are, are the, the champions, champions my, friends. my friends. And we'll keep on fighting till the end. We are the champions. We are the champions, no time for losers, cause we are the champions of the world. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. Oh, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. <laughs> we are the champions. What and a it's truth. the truth. It's the truth. The most, not just the most powerful podcast in the country. It's the most powerful podcast on earth, folks. Is there any doubt left? Like how many people have we sunk? Can we take a moment to talk about the effort? Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of work in the song. <laughs> Put my heart Prom into it. Promises made, promises kept. That's promises right. made, promises kept. I will say this, Freddie Mercury, not an easy person to replicate. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, they gave Cuomo an Emmy. They got to give. They got to give Ruthless a Grammy at some point. It's just the talent is there. Dunks, how did you feel about it? I felt good. You know, I mean, I'm really hitting my stride with these. I think so too. Um, and you know, yeah, I'm kind. Am I peacocking? Yes, I think I'm peacocking a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I smell record deal. Let's be honest, folks. <laughs> Voice of an angel. I'd be, you know. I mean, look, I know it's not going to happen because it takes too much work, but I'd be I'd be OK with us opening with every one of these. <laughs> I mean, that was killer. I got to get I mean, credit where it's due. That was killer. And we need to get into the reason for the season, the spiking of the football. Ladies and gentlemen, Nira Tandon is done for. Boom, bajanga. And I got to tell you, there is no one who has stood the line like the ruthless variety mm -hmm. program. We started the fight. We let, we let the people know this goes, cause you're going to see, and, and you've already seen it started. 
uh, the claims that, oh gosh, this was over near his bad tweets. No, no. I mean, the ruthless, the ruthless listeners know the truth. She's like punching journalists, just a hit, outing, outing victims of sexual harassment in meetings. And well, we uh, laid it out. We laid it out. We laid it right? out. I mean, here, here's the thing. There are a lot of there are a lot of different conservative outlets. Everybody's picking their battles or whatever. Mm-hmm. The one thing we know about Ruthless is that there's an incredible grassroots following. Huge. Right? The, but the other side of it is all of these congressmen and senators listen to it too, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. their chiefs of staff or whatever. And there was a whole bunch of misinformation being put out there by Democrats about, oh, it's just a bad tweet. She deleted him. She's going to apologize, yep. right? But what happened over a series of months is us putting out, no, 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 it's nothing to do with the, the tweets. The tweets are a symptom correct, of, of a problem this woman has with a whole management style that, that has been unleashed on all of her enemies, created massive problems, and she's totally unfit for office. And people listen to it. I won't, I won't mention names, but I was uh, I had a, the staff of a senator reach out to me and let me know that their office was not aware of uh, all the negative rankings. Like if you go in on uh, oh, what's the job site called that had the, the glass, glass door. Door. on Glassdoor? Yeah, Glassdoor. Um, for Center for American Progress, where people were like everything was great except management is awful. Near Tandon is terrible. Like we weren't even aware of that. So you have someone who has been nominated to the office of management and budget and everyone who's worked for her says the management is terrible. Yeah. I, I had a couple of press offices that reached out to me too, that said, um, can you send me what you were all talking about, about the, the Buzzfeed story Yep, right, about her outing people. I mean, this is the stuff that, I mean, did that appear in the New York times? Nope. 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 Did that appear in the Washington post? Nope. Nope. I mean, this is the person who was nominated to run the Office of Management and Budget. Presumably, it would it would be of some import to have a a recollection about her management style. And I, I mean, it is it is such a huge win. It is not just for ruthless for our listeners for the minions for the grassroots support we have. We are we are moving the needle over here. That is high. something else. Really riding high. It feels it's good. It's a heater because it's, you know, it's not, it's not just, so you back up the tape, you got the Lincoln project, you got gone, you got duck low gone, right? Here we are into Nira. And, and the other thing that we've been hammering on far before everybody else is Cuomo. And folks, (laughs) things do not look good for the governor of New York. Boy, oh boy, boy, oh boy. I mean, uh, so, so for months, we were we were laying into Cuomo, letting the folks know. I mean, uh, we we had Janice Dean on just last week. The guy beyond the latest allegations, essentially, just sent the elderly to their deaths. Where it was just okay. Uh, Cuomo says put COVID patients into nursing homes and let them mingle among the most at risk population. To COVID, seems like a good idea. Meanwhile, every mainstream outlet is saying, oh, Governor Cuomo is a true hero. He is the hero of COVID. They were, they were putting out, uh, I have a crush on Andrew Cuomo. My God. I mean, that's our media. But the folks who are listening to Ruthless, you got the real take. The guy is a monster. And now, finally, 
finally, uh, we're even hearing from from victims of or alleged because, you know, at this point, they're just alleged. But everyone knows this guy has been awful for a long time. He's been abusive, not just to reporters, but apparently to his own staff and even in a sexual harassment fashion, apparently. I, I do want to say, because we, we covered the, the sexual harassment bit um, on the previous episode and on last week, and we find it horrendous. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I personally find it hard to believe that everyone working around him didn't recognize it and wasn't concerned about it and didn't say, I mean, I just it, clearly the reaction here is telling everybody's like, Oh yeah, yeah. No, that's kind of the way he operates. Right. But equally troubling to me in this media media environment that we live in is the fact that 6,000 seniors I mean, 13,000, I think. Correct, yeah. Seniors lost their lives. No fucking problem. Yeah. Right? Put out a book. Put out a book. Do a media tour. Talk about how great you are. Yeah, yeah. And then then now that we're in a situation where his incredibly deplorable activity with young women in his office is uncovered, like now he's got to resign. That's the thing is like, he I can think he's hide- not for he- both. Let me just, I just want to clear that. Yeah. Look, I'm not saying what that this is that the, the sexual impropriety here is anything of a, 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 but, but horrible. But the fact that it's taken this to get to the point where people are paying attention to it, then get right. the fuck out of here. Yeah. I mean, the guy hid from the feds, he had his staff hide from the feds the number of seniors who were dying. These are people's parents. These are people's grandparents. These are their families dying because of the decisions that he made, but the media was still cool with it. This was, it was this, that was the turning point. Yeah. We're talking about thousands dead that weren't enough for the media to stop having, you know, the Cuomo brothers comedy variety show over on CNN where you have Chris, Chris Cuomo, you have Fredo playing with a giant Q-tip and then, then once these allegations break, you had Brian Stelter trying to play cleanup for CNN, being like, "Chris Cuomo says that because uh, you know his journalistic ethics, he can't cover Chris Cuomo." Yeah, sure, buddy, sure, buddy. Tell us that when 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 you guys were basically doing PR for Cuomo while he was sending seniors to their death. And I'm convinced, Smug, that none of this would be career threatening if those two young, brave women wouldn't have come out, right? And, and, and you know what is, he? so he, he had that press conference where he remains defiant and says, I will not resign. Like apparently being responsible for the decision, making the decision to send the elderly to their death and treating your staff in such a deplorable fashion. Yeah, he thinks he can, he thinks he can survive this. Yeah. Unbelievable. It's incredible. You know what? Here, here's the other thing is they gave the guy an Emmy. So when you see him with his crocodile tears in that press conference, don't believe it. You know, he's trying to cry. The guy's got an Emmy. He's an actor. You know, Dr. You know, Richard Harambe on Twitter points that out. This guy's got an Emmy. He's an actor. Don't buy this. He's the sensational actor. It's really, I mean, honestly, that is what it is. It's sad as hell. I, I hate the fact that New Yorkers have to deal 
with all this. I feel like the combination of Janice Dean last week and Elise Stefanik this week, we have done our part. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have to, like truly the courage. Uh, you know, Janice Dean is really something else. We are all fortunate to have her because, man, the loss, the, you know, the loss of her in laws. And, and from the very beginning, she was outspoken when other members, you know, when the mainstream media was attacking her, when everyone was saying, no, you're wrong. Cuomo is a superhero. She stood strong. She was getting the truth out to, to the public way before any of this was brought to light. I think it's pretty clear, you know, from the beginning. I mean, I'm just going to say, I mean, it's a media cover up is what's been going That's on. That's what it is. Here. And um cnn uh had andrew cuomo on with his brother yucking it up Mm -hmm. as he was putting um the elderly into nursing homes when they were positive with covid getting people killed you had chris cuomo breaking quarantine you remember that breaking the the, the fake show of him yeah i'm coming out of my basement yeah emerges from the basement live Mm -hmm. on television I mean, these people engage. Yeah, it was all bullshit. bullshit. Yeah, they had, they had we, photos of him out in the Hamptons, out in public. While he is, he has COVID, and he's out in public in the Hamptons. Oh yeah, it's yeah. it's a charade. They think they think that the public is dumb and they can just manipulate them. Right. So when 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 Chris Saliza also at CNN says, "Gosh, oh, how could we have known?" Shit, I don't know. Do right? your fucking job. That's how right? you can know. It's crazy. Imagine imagine you know. being a journalist and doing your job. It's crazy. It's a lot to ask. It's 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 so maddening. But I mean, look, that's why we have the audience we do is right? because people look at that and say, the hell with you. Exactly. Let's, let's listen to some other stuff. And the other stuff that we've got going on has been pretty good. We've got more to focus on. Look, we've we've been, we're on a heater. Yeah. We're we're on a roll. And and you know what? I have to say, the interview today, I think it's gonna be a newsmaker. Yeah. This is a big one. Yeah, it's a good. It's so we, we're doing something a little bit different today. You know, normally we have politicians on or people who are in the political world, in the political media world. Mm-hmm. And what we decided to do was put on Dr. Marty McCary, who you probably recognize for those of you who watch Fox. He's on now uh, relatively frequently because he's just absolutely brilliant. But he wrote an op ed last week in the wall street journal that said america will have herd immunity by april yeah it was and, controversial and he immediately got dive bombed by the left and also you know because we we trust the science here we're we, we listen to the experts so he works at some like local hospital right anyone where's he works yeah, yeah a local just a local outfit named johns hopkins yeah he's johns hopkins yeah. okay <laughs> I heard that's I heard that's a good place. Just a local, just a small local outfit named Johns Hopkins, where he is a surgeon. I think he, I, I mean, he does complex surgery. Yeah, I think Johns Hopkins surgeons—they gotta be pretty smart. I think. I mean, he deals with like the pancreas, right? I mean, this this is like you've got to be a serious surgeon to deal with that. But he's also a professor there and 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 other places, and he uh, is written a number of books that we go over in our interview, but he's given great thought to this. And at the, at the onset, as he says of the pandemic, he was incredibly nervous about this. Mm-hmm. Incredibly nervous. Yeah. 
And <clears throat> he contacted all the people he could contact in the White House to say, like, look, if you have a respiratory born illness that is spreading person to person, you're, you're not there's no way to stop this. Like mm -hmm. this is this is going to be a huge problem. He goes into his experience with discussing this with the White House or White House staff that I think is pretty newsworthy. Well, I'm not going to know what? I'm just going to let him do it. Yeah. I mean, the quotes that he drops, it's going to be in the papers. So, I mean, I think we should just get right into it. This, this is, this is a big, big, big time interview right here. I want to welcome to the program, Dr. Marty McCary. He's a surgeon, a professor at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and Bloomberg School of Public Health. He's also the author of a New York Times bestselling book, The Price We Pay, What Broke American Healthcare and How We Fix It. Doctor, welcome. Great to be with you, Josh. So we, along with the rest of the uh, English-speaking world, took great interest in an op-ed you wrote in the Wall Street Journal um, entitled, We'll Have Herd Immunity by April, which, you know, they didn't, they didn't pull any punches with the headline there. That's basically the argument <laughs> and got right to it. But you, what you focused on was that we've had a 77% reduction in COVID cases over the previous six weeks, which you argue um, indicates that we have more herd immunity here than, than many people uh, would think. If I got that right? <laughs> you know, um, you have it right, Josh. You know, I didn't realize how much pent up giddy <laughs> excitement <laughs> there was and this sort of, you know, massive parade of celebration that there might be some good news. You know, it's, uh, I joke around, you know, there's a lot of scrutiny on this article now because people want it to be wrong. There's a group of people that, you know, have basically said, you know, we're, we're in for, you know, another year of Armageddon. And so what I didn't realize is that if you put out a model or a projection that's horrible and horrific and catastrophic and wrong by an order of tenfold <laughs> and, you know, then people just ignore you once you're wrong and then move on. But if you put out something that's positive, yeah, uh, but look, we, that's right. I, I had a, a boss once that said, if you uh, prepare for the worst, you're rarely disappointed. <laughs> um, so, you know, the reality is there's a lot of good stuff happening right now. And if we can focus on that, if that's okay, you know, with the media mob, the reality is that as a scientist, you've got to look at a 77% reduction out of the blue. And that was out of the blue and interpret it somehow, okay? And as a scientist, if you're going to be intellectually honest, you've got to really say, is it, is it a sudden improvement in behavior? Did people suddenly start doing the distancing and masking on January 8th? No, I don't think so. Did the vaccines kick in? No, we had less than, you know, a small fraction of our population vaccinated by the end of January, and it takes time for the immunity to kick in. Or is it the concept of herd immunity that once more people have been infected, there is natural immunity that breaks the chain of transmission in more places and really slows it down. And herd immunity is not binary. It's not all or nothing. It's a slowing. And so we're seeing a slowing happening right now. And, you know, it may not be the end of April, as I projected. It may be May. But you know what? We've already got herd immunity for healthcare workers. We've got herd immunity in the next three to four weeks coming for nursing homes. We're going to hit herd immunity in parts of the country in April. 
And the cases that are going to linger, and look, coronavirus is going to be around with us for decades, but the cases that are going to linger in May or even June are going to be mostly young people because they were last in the vaccine line. And those are mostly asymptomatic and mild cases. Right. So one of the things that I'm, I'm sort of confused about, and I imagine a lot of our listeners have been confused too, is as we develop these immunities, and we've been doing that basically since it's landed in the United States, um, along with these vaccines, this isn't like polio where we're vaccinating and eradicating, right? I mean, aren't we basically like more like the flu? Is it mitigating the symptoms or is it in fact getting rid of COVID-19? Yeah, you're right. We're not going to extinguish COVID-19. There's a million viruses in the world and a little less than 1% have crossed over into the human species from the animal kingdom. And a lot of these viruses circulate year to year. As a matter of fact, there's four other coronaviruses that have circulated seasonally for decades. Hmm. Remember, we just discovered DNA when my dad was at med school, right? So the idea that we've had good data on all of this stuff for, for centuries, right? And the reality is there's a lot of stuff that circulates. This will probably become the fifth seasonal coronavirus. We're not going to extinguish it, but we can manage it. And if you, you know, one of the stories, I like to talk about stories that are not being covered at all in the media. One of them is that uh, this week, Moderna developed a new vaccine designed for the new variants, separate from their other vaccine, and they shipped it to the NIH, and it's about to start its clinical trial. I didn't even so know we're gonna, Yeah, I mean, that's incredible, right? And if that goes through the trial quickly, we could see that in September or even August, ahead of a false cycle that may, be, may look like a bad flu season if you had to picture what it might look like. Man, that's, that's unbelievable. Well, and I keep coming back to, I mean, I, you talked briefly about how much scrutiny you've been under since uh, having the courage to uh, potentially say that we are making progress, which seems like something everybody would want to embrace. But um, in your, I'm surprised, particularly in the scientific community, how political uh, things have, have become. Does that surprise you? Has it always been that way? Or is this just now that we have such a political conversation? No, it's, it's new, Josh. And it's deeply concerning because it violates everything sacred to science. And we're, we're seeing group think and cancel culture now in medicine, in, at medical schools, in academics. Um, I'm a member of the National Academy of Medicine. And I've noticed, for example, that they really, uh, you know, nominate healthcare leaders who are Democrat, but there's really hardly anyone who's Republican. Now, look, I'm an independent, fine, whatever. But I mean, is it okay for someone like Admiral Brett Girard, who served this country incredibly, to be recognized? No, there's this intense cancel culture. And, you know, I, I, I criticize whatever there is to be critical of. If the FDA is a mess, I'll criticize it regardless of who the president is. And what you see is this mentality of you can only criticize things of this other political party. When people say, oh, you know, Trump is why we have uh, half a million deaths uh, in the United States, I, I tell them, is he all also responsible for the deaths in France <laughs> and Europe? And all the, because no country has been, has performed well, except for island countries where they've done a really great job of blocking entry. And that's true of South Korea and Singapore and, and Australia. But otherwise, this is a pandemic. And I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say this. Oh, what the heck? I'll say it anyway. 
this has been a mild pandemic, not to discount the horrific loss of life, but there's all kinds of pandemics going on. Do you know about half a, uh, uh, half a million uh, kids die of malaria uh, mm. every year? Uh, antimicrobial resistance is projected to kill over 20 million people in one year at its current rate of growth. I'm not discounting it, but um, we have to put things in perspective. Yeah, it, which is almost impossible to do. I, I always joke that anytime Washington starts talking about any industry of some expertise, it just drives people absolutely nuts. I, I remember folks in the finance community, as soon as you get uh, senators down on the floor talking about Michael Lewis books, you know you got a huge problem. Well, I think the same, the same is definitely true of your line of work, doctor. I, I, everybody has sort of become a, a backhanded uh, expert on this with no expertise to speak of. And, and part of this, in my view, is, is the political decisions that we've made at the outset with the shutdowns and the like, which were all, I think, very well reasoned to mitigate damage and, and, and stop overwhelming, potential overwhelming of a healthcare system. But I think if, if what you're saying, if I'm understanding what you're saying is right, we're past that point. We, it, the healthcare system, at least in terms of COVID-19, has a very low likelihood of being overwhelmed at this point. I called for those shutdowns, Josh. I look back, you know, in late February and March, uh, telling folks, look, this is scary. We were looking at case fatality rates of one to 10% overseas. And then we're learning, hey, it's maybe one to 5%. Now it's maybe one to 2%. Now we know it's quarter of 1%, but it was scary. And so I was out there, but as data comes in, you have got to evolve your strategy. That's what any honest scientist would say. Now it doesn't fit well with policymaking, right? It doesn't fit well with making a schedule for the next school year because you've got to be fluid. You've got to be adaptable and policy generally gets implemented and it's there forever. But this is something where we've got to evolve. And now we've got to take in new data. For example, data out this morning, that the rate of uh, self-harm and severe mental illness among kids has doubled yeah. within the first month of the pandemic, right? With that information, you've got to say, hey, wait a minute. We were called for closing schools because we're worried about the kids' safety. Turns out kids are 10 times more likely to die of suicide than coronavirus. Turns out schools are not a vehicle of transmission as the CDC's top scientists reported in our top medical journal three weeks before they came out with a contradictory report saying that, you know. So, I mean, the reality is, are we going to be honest to the science or not? And if you are, you're gonna lose political friends on both sides, but that's what you have to do. Yeah, that's right. And, and we've covered the schools issue pretty extensively on Ruthless. And the thing that we just can't, even even Dr. Fauci has been extremely clear all the way back to September of last year that the transmission rates that we're seeing in schools that are open are very low and the risks are very low. And yet here we are, right? I mean, it's more, more of the same. Yeah. You know, when this thing started, uh, Josh, in late February and early March, I had a lot of relations. I still have a lot of relationships on in Washington, D.C., as you do. And when you see something that's personally and morally gnawing away and you feel like there's something that needs to be said that's not being said, you make phone calls, you call friends and you say, hey, this is something people are missing. Well, I saw the pandemic coming 
after talking to enough experts, started writing about it, started talking about it, called into the White House and said, look, this is going to be really bad. This is a good time to start planning accordingly. And over and over again, what they came back with, and these are good people. I worked with them on the price transparency uh, orders. They said, well, we talked to Dr. Fauci and he said, we're going to be okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, Dr. Mich uh, Rochelle Walensky, for example, great doctor. She was at Hopkins for a little bit. Great doctor, lover. I've always agreed with everything she said. Now she's a political doctor. Politics. I don't know who she is anymore. She's reading statements at these press conferences. She was talking about this. You know, we had a plateau for two weeks in cases because mostly the Texas ice storm had created a backlog of cases. She's talking about an uptick in cases and they're very concerned. She's reading statements. I'm like, who, who are you? <laughs> it's remarkable. She had her own set of statements like day one about the safety and efficacy of opening schools. And then they met with a bunch of teachers unions, which she conceded. They met with a bunch of teachers unions and all of a sudden she's got a whole different point of view on the health, <laughs> right? I mean, it's got to drive yeah. people like you crazy, I'm sure. Yeah, it is. And it, it's, it's more the hypocrisy of saying, hey, we're going to listen to whatever the scientists say. Yeah. That's, that's, what's bother, that's what bothers me. Uh, so yeah. we... Well, one, one technical question that I, I, I don't know that I completely understand. Um, when you get the vaccination and you're exposed to the virus, uh, do, you have, is it, do we know whether or not people are still transmitting the, the virus? I mean, can you still uh, you know, catch it on an airplane and basically give it to somebody else, even though you're vaccinated and in your immunity system basically stops the virus within you? The reality is it, the risk goes down so dramatically yeah. that at some point we've got to make a recommendation, right? Am I going to tell you to stay at home because yeah. there's, viral, there's viral meningitis in the community, which there is, there always will be. So if the question is, can you leave your house and get viral meningitis? <laughs> the, answer, the answer is yes, but at some point we've got to be practical. And, you know, the reality is, Josh, you see this with, you know, older folks out there, loneliness was an epidemic before COVID and it's been magnified and it affects your physiologic reserve and it harms people. People die of loneliness. And so we see that. And if we're going to ignore that and ignore the mental illness and substance abuse and deferred medical care and say, you could get viral meningitis if you leave your house, we're being, uh, intellectually dishonest to the totality of data and science. Oh, preach, man. That's, those are just refreshing words to hear from somebody in your line of work. I want to, before I get to the three questions on Ruthless, I just want to uh, touch on your, your book, New York Times bestseller, The Price We Pay, What Broke American Healthcare. I, I just ordered it. I haven't read it yet, but I read some reviews. Man, people really think you opened uh, the hood here and gave everybody a look. <laughs> well, well, the problem of the high price of healthcare is affecting every individual and business, and it's not coming down. Deductibles are not coming down. You're going to be responsible for paying more and more stuff out of pocket. And basically, the fundamental problem in healthcare is we have non-competitive markets. And when you see that as a consumer, you see these bad behaviors, or as a policymaker, your temptation is to create rules within those 
bad practices. But the reality is what we need is to convert them to competitive markets. And that's what we're doing with our price transparency work. That's what we're doing with Sesame Care, an initiative I'm involved with, in, uh, the, the executive order, which was bipartisan, by the way, that we got um, President Trump to sign off on. We'll create sh common shoppable services to have real prices on websites. And we'll be able to, you know, see real prices. Like, if you went to buy an airline ticket and the airline said, oh, we can't give you a price. We'll bill you after the flight. We don't know if you're going to be delayed or the pilot might have to work a little harder if they have turbulence. So we, we don't know the price. And then you start start getting surprise bills for a beverage that you drink. And, you know, there'd be gouging all over the marketplace. You can't just create rules for that bad behavior. You've got to create an honest competitive marketplace and that's what's happening it's an exciting revolution and that's what i wrote about in the oh that's awesome I'm, you'll, you'll appreciate this when we were when we were uh involved in the obamacare debate i was working with senator mcconnell at the time and this it was just you know i mean the insanity of the debate itself i, I couldn't wrap my mind around but one of the things was what you just said that just stood out to me is that we're all talking about all of these problems, but nobody's addressing the fact that nobody knows what they're paying for the product, right? <laughs> so, we, so we took, as a staff, picked up the phone and called four different hospitals in the area and just asked what it costs for an x-ray. Couldn't get an answer. <laughs> Couldn't get an answer. Not one of them. <laughs> We've been given the runaround on that question for 50 years in hospitals. And I'm guilty. I've done it myself. Oh, it's amazing. Well, let's get to the three questions. They're very revealing, Doc. This is, uh, you know, it's actually probably more revealing for politicians because you can get a little bit underneath the facade of who they are and, and get uh, more real life. But I, I suspect you've given this some thought. Your, your last meal on earth as a, as a doctor, what would it be? <laughs> um, it would not be breakfast. I don't believe in <laughs> breakfast. Breakfast, you know, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. You know where that it. came from? 1950s General Mills advertising campaign. I don't think cavemen woke up and had a breakfast buffet. I had no idea. That's an amazing story. So breakfast, not the most important meal of the day. Nope. That's good for a little, a little sip or a little nibble on breakfast, but you don't need to have English toast and a giant, you know, buffet for breakfast. Does okay. that count as an answer? Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, is there anything like, I mean... Are you just going to go for the double T-bone ribeye or are you, are you going to keep it safe? <laughs> I, I like healthy uh, foods. I really try to do farm to table, local, local yeah. farmers, local grocery stores. Great. Okay. If you were not a doctor or an author, uh, what would you be doing with yourself? I would be a receptionist at a gym. Okay. <laughs> They're the, they are the happiest people on earth. I mean, we're in this blood sport of like fighting ideas and thought leadership. I mean, they're just every day is a great day welcoming people. I mean, nobody gets excited to come see their cancer surgeon. People are like, oh my God, what is this going to be like? You know, I just want to deliver good news. And I think that's a good job for it. That's awesome. Okay. And very good perspective. The last question Dr. McCary, what motivates you most, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? <laughs> I like to win. I'm a, I got to tell you, I'm a, I'm a little competitive. I like to win. And um, your patients like to hear that, by the way. Yeah, I think they I think they're inspired by some optimism. If I told patients, yeah, I think we maybe should do this surgery, but I'm not sure. And you could die, but it's really small chance. Look, they want to have somebody come in with a big smile and say, look, I think we need to do this. We're going to take good care of you. 
That's right. That's exactly right. Well, listen, Dr. McCary, you're going to be the most popular guy in the cocktail circuit for a while with a little dose of optimism that this country desperately, desperately needs. We can't thank you enough for joining the program today. Great to be with you, Josh. So Doc is a pretty, first of all, he's a pretty great guy. I mean, not often do you get people who are engaged in the science who are as personable as he yeah, you know, not all of the experts are, are, are folks who, who who you want to listen to talk to. Uh, but man, what a revelation. I mean, that's a big one. So that's a big one. He also, you know, answered a lot of really important questions that I had about vaccinations, about how we can be safe, about, you know, like even the 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 idea that has been transpiring in liberal circles about whether if you're vaccinated, you still need to quarantine yourself because you can transmit while vaccinated. And and, I mean, what he said to that just kind of put that shit to rest. And I I just, I don't know. I may look, I don't know if he's overly optimistic or what, but I feel like we're getting there and that, that just feels good to me. Yeah. I mean, I trust the expert. We got, we got a Johns Hopkins guy who, who, who had, Gave us a lot of great information. What a revelation, man. He tried warning them. He tried telling Fauci and all of them. He tried. What wow. I've never understood is that Anthony Fauci told people to not wear masks and then turn around and said, you have to wear masks. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we decided that this same person should be the public face of our coronavirus response for the next year. Well, I mean, my opinion, I, I guarantee the guy's going to get a book deal. I think, I think he knows what, what he's doing. He knows how to ham it up for the media. He knows how to get the attention. The guy's I mean, best a book best deal. media game in Washington, for sure. Serious. Without, 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 without a doubt. But like, and, and this isn't a personal thing to, you know, against Dr. Fauci, but like, if you, if you care about the credibility of, of this information and this science, when you just told people the opposite of something, you would think like, Maybe you're not the best messenger. Yeah, to tell I mean, that's people. a big difference to you go know? from don't wear a mask to everybody wear a mask. What was it in three weeks? And then the tortured okay. explanation about, oh, you yeah. know, uh, well, I was worried about first responders being able to have them. And then okay. saying that, like, listen, folks, anything you have in the house, wear a bandana. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I remember right. that. Right. As if every home had the N95 and then it just yeah. all of a sudden decided to put a bed sheet around your face. Yeah. I remember, you know, when it first, when the, when the lockdowns and everything first happened, I remember you walked down the streets of New York, you have, it's like a fashion show. Any, any piece of fabric, anything folks had is wrapped around their face. And a nice Hermes scarf. Yeah. Oh, you saw them out there. <laughs> Incredible. Well, look guys, we've had a hell of a two week run here and we're not letting off the gas. Um, one thing we need to address is our game show schedule for next week. That's right. We had, we had a new game show on the Tuesday episode and I mean, that was a great game show. I, I, you know, I'm a fan of the door number two option, but (laughs) King of the Hill returns with a vengeance next week. There's just too many takes. There's been so much news between the Nira stuff and everything else. Like we got to let it simmer here nah, till Tuesday. Nah. I, I I imagine between Cuomo takes, Nira takes, 
we're just going to have such incredible content for Tuesday. I'm really looking forward to it. I, I'm, I'm looking if forward you're to listening and, and you're probably listening, Matthew Dowd, just drop the takes, man. Drop the takes. Compete. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I need minions. I need your eyes on the prize here. Keep looking for, for challengers. And if you get somebody who's got three or more in the course of seven days, hit my DMs because we really... <laughs> Like, we got to take this guy out. He's very <laughs> difficult. Much more difficult than I imagined him. I mean, he's, he's something else. But that's another banger of a show, man. I think it's going to be another newsmaker. And the lineup we have, you know, we won't spoil it, but the lineup we have of guests who, who are going to be on the show is really something else. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this episode up. It's another, another fine variety program, gentlemen. So until next time, minions, keep the faith. Hold the line and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.